The scripture reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Please stand for the reading of God's word. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, there's a lot here, isn't there? Who is this Melchizedek? And why does he matter? That's one question that you may have. Or, you know, the text says that Jesus prayed to the one who could deliver him from death and that he was heard because of his reverence, and yet we know that Jesus died on the cross. So what's up with that? There's another question that we might have. And they're all good questions, those and maybe some others, as you heard the text read or look at it in your Bible. They're all important questions. They're all ones that need to be uh, answered in order to rightly interpret the text. But I want to suggest that those questions aren't the most important question that perhaps we need to wrestle with this morning. And that question is this, why do I need a high priest? Why do I need a high priest? We've been studying the book of Hebrews for a couple months now. Hebrews, as you'll recall, was written in the first century to a group, a church made up of Jewish converts to Christianity. They were in or near Rome, and they were beginning to experience persecution under Nero. And they were beginning to turn away from Christianity back into Judaism. Christians were being persecuted at the time. Uh, Jewish people were not being persecuted at the time. And so there was this temptation to turn away from faith in Christ and turn back into Judaism. And the, the burden of the author of Hebrews is to show his readers that Christ is greater than what they're turning to. In fact, he's, he's wanting to demonstrate to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of their Judaism, that, that we call our Old Testament, their Hebrew Bible, actually points to Jesus. And so why, the author says, would you turn away from that which is the fulfillment of what you're turning back to? Because in so doing, you're turning away from your only hope for salvation. Now, in our case, the temptation is not to return to Judaism in the face of persecution, but people are turning away. In the past 25 years, some estimated 40 million American adults have left the church. Deconversion and deconstruction stories abound. Some have left the faith altogether because of abuse in the church. And as tragic and horrible as church abuse is, it's made all the more tragic because people leave the church, and not just leave the church, but leave the faith as a result. Others are leaving the church because of the 
you know, the, the, the hypocrisy that they see in so many of us. We, we are tempted to put on a facade and, and pretend to be something that we're not rather than being the people that we are and, and have to be in front of the Lord in order to be saved. And so there's hypocrisy in the church and, and people are rightly reviled by that and, and turn away. Uh, there's, there's, you know, with that hypocrisy, often a very legalistic teaching or a legalistic attitude that's completely devoid of grace. That's repulsive. People will turn away from that, and rightly so. There's also the fact that in America, Christianity has been completely aligned with a political party, depending on what church or denomination you're in, so that to, a, to an outside observer, it would seem that the two are the same thing. And that falls short, woefully short, of what Scripture says the church and individual Christians are called ultimately to be about. The problem for us isn't Nero, like it was for the first readers of Hebrews. The problem for us isn't outside of us. The problem for us is inside. And I don't just mean inside the church, I mean inside our hearts. And so here in the message of Hebrews, we see it's just as relevant today as it was for the first readers in the first century. The message that we're called to hear from this book is that if we harden our hearts and turn away from Jesus, we are losing the only hope for our salvation. That was the concern that the author of Hebrews had for these first readers in Rome in the first century, and it's the word of God, it continues to be the concern that God has for us down to this very day. If we harden our hearts and turn away from Jesus, we're losing the only hope for our salvation. Now, central to the author's argument in Hebrews, and we began this two weeks ago, and I, I said then that from chapter 4, verse 14, all the way through to the middle of chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is going to take up this issue of how Jesus is our great high priest. And so again, he's, he's basing his argument on something that the original readers would have completely understood. Of course, I understand why I need a high priest. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, here's why you need Jesus as your high priest. We need to take you know, one step back and, and again, answer the question, why do I need a high priest at all? Why do I today here, 2023, almost 2024, need Jesus to be my high priest? Isn't his priestly work done? Didn't he go to the cross? Didn't he, didn't he die there? Didn't he rise? You know, didn't he say it is finished? Why do I need Jesus as my high priest today? That's what we're gonna wrestle with from the text this morning. The, the text gives us three reasons why we need to see Jesus as our high priest. First of all, we need someone appointed by God to represent us. It's the teaching of not just this portion of Hebrews, but the Bible as a whole. We need someone to represent us, and it must be someone appointed by God to do so. Secondly, we need someone able to intercede for us, to actually go before the throne of God and intercede for us. And then third, we need someone willing to identify with us. We need someone appointed by God to represent us, secondly, someone able to intercede for us, and third, someone willing to identify with us. Those are the three things we're gonna look at this morning, but first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we do pray that you would work by your spirit through this portion of your word to soften our hearts. Lord, our hearts are so distracted and often so hard. We fail to see who you are in all of your goodness toward us. 
And so we pray that you would open our eyes this morning, that we might see wonderful and beautiful things from this portion of your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first, we need someone appointed by God to represent us. High priests in the Old Testament were appointed by God to represent God's people before him. We get that in verse one and we get that in verse four. So let me go back and read it for us. Verse one, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. And then if you jump down to verse four, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So God is the one who does the appointing. The point the author of Hebrews is making in this verse that you're gonna go, duh, but let me just hang with me for a second. The point the author is making is that only a human can represent humans before God. Now, why does that matter? It matters because of something that the author is gonna say about Jesus, the eternal son of God, and the incarnation that we just celebrated at Christmas. But I'll come back to that in a second. The Old Testament high priest had to be a human appointed by God because only a person could represent people before God. The second thing that the author points out, again, is that that representative can't be just anyone. It has to be someone appointed by God. Verse four, again, it had to be someone from the line of Aaron, someone from the tribe of Levi, someone appointed by God himself. Now the case the author of Hebrews is making is that Jesus is that person who meets that fundamental criteria for the high priest. He is the incarnate son of God. He's appointed by God to take on that priestly role on behalf of God's people. So look with me at verse seven real quick. Just those first few words, in the days of his flesh. That's referring to the incarnation. It's referring to what the Bible teaches about Jesus, the eternal son of God, becoming man, taking on flesh. In fact, in John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we celebrate when we come together to celebrate Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Verse five tells us that he was appointed by God to this task. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, and then this is a quote from Psalm chapter two, verse seven, you are my God, today, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now we looked at this way back, you know, when we looked at chapter one, verse 13 in that area of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is pulling from the Old Testament to, to prove things concerning Jesus. Now he's doing that because Jesus himself, after he rose from the dead, says, said to his disciples, okay guys, you missed a lot about me. You know, clearly you missed everything I told you about the fact that I was gonna die and rise on the third day. Let me help you understand how everything that you know about your Hebrew Bible points to me including places like Psalm chapter two, verse seven. Psalm two was a coronation psalm. It was used when a king in Israel was ascending to the throne. What, the, what, what Jesus said and what the author of Hebrews is echoing here is that that psalm is actually pointing to King Jesus ascending to his throne in heaven after his resurrection from the dead. And so you are my son, today I have begotten you. Only in, the, the only place where you see, God referring to someone as his son is with respect to 
Jesus, not to the angels, not to anyone else. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That idea of a king being begotten, again, you can remember this from uh, chapter one when we looked at it. The idea of a king being begotten doesn't have to do with his birthday, but his coronation day. A king was born in that sense on the day that he ascended to the throne. And so when it says, today I have begotten you, it's referring to the ascension of Jesus Christ. This, the author of Hebrews is saying, is the, the reality of Jesus Christ as our high priest appointed by God to represent us before him. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Now, why is that good news? Why is it good news that God became man in Jesus in order to represent us before God? It means that we don't have to represent ourselves before God. I don't have to represent myself before God, and neither do you. There is a chasm that exists between God and his holiness, and you and I in our sinfulness that we cannot bridge. To think that I can represent myself before God, for you to think that you can represent yourself before God, that you can stand before God one day apart from his grace and expect to be accepted by him based on your good works. You know, the idea that maybe your good deeds outweighed your bad deeds or, or based on your good intentions. To think that, that we could stand before God on that basis is like thinking, you know, I could jump across the Grand Canyon if I just get a running start. It's not gonna happen. We need someone to represent us before God because as the psalmists so often say, as God said to Job, who can stand before God? Not me, not you. Christ alone can stand before God. You don't have to be your own representative before God. Jesus will be your representative before God. And Jesus was appointed by God to that very task. That's good news. But we can go on. How is it that Jesus is able to then, having been appointed by God to this task, actually fulfill it, actually be the one who can stand before God? And that's where we see our second point. We need someone able to intercede for us. Look back at the passage in verse one and in verse three. Verse one, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And then if you jump down at verse three, because of this, he, that is the high priest, is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Now, you can look at uh, Leviticus you know, as a whole. You can look at Exodus 28 and 29 and go back and see the origin of the high priest. Leviticus talks about all the offerings and sacrifices and prayers and petitions that the high priest was to make on behalf of the people. But in referring particularly to the sins of the people and his own sins as the high priest, the author of Hebrews is inviting us to remember the Day of Atonement, which we read about in Leviticus chapter 16. That was the one day during the year in which the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, go into the part of the tabernacle, later the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and make a sacrifice. Take the blood of a goat with him to put on the mercy seat, that part of the, of the, of the Ark above the law between 
God and his holiness and the law that we have broken that revealed our sinfulness, take the blood of a goat and put it there to make atonement, to satisfy God's wrath for our sin. And of course, the high priest had to do that for himself before he could even go in. So those high priests were imperfect, temporary intercessors. They were sinners and they would die. So where would we find a sinless, eternal intercessor? Someone who could offer the perfect sacrifice as the perfectly sinless high priest and do so forever, recognizing that we still need someone to intercede for us down to this very day. That's what the author of Hebrews is demonstrating to those who are reading. Jesus is that perfectly sinless high priest who himself was the sacrifice before God. We see this in places, uh, let's jump down to verse seven, really verse seven, verse eight, and verse nine, and deal with this question of how is it that Jesus learned obedience, okay? Verse seven, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Okay, that word reverence has to do with a posture of submission and, and readiness to serve the Lord. Jesus said, I came to do the will of my Father in heaven. He came to earth with a posture of humble submission and willingness to serve the Lord. We can go on, verse eight. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Okay, so we've already established back in, in verse five that Jesus is the eternal son of God. How is it that he learned obedience by what he suffered? And the, and the key is by what he suffered. We learn obedience the hard way, don't we? <laughs> we, learn, we learn what it means to obey when we disobey. Kids know that. We remember our childhoods. We know that as well. We understand what it means to walk a path of obedience through life by learning the hard way. Jesus experienced to the full what it means to live a sinless life of obedience in a way that he never had before when he became man. So in his suffering, he came to understand the full realm of what it means to live a sinless life. He didn't learn obedience in the sense that he became something that he once wasn't, perfect, but rather in the sense that he lived out in the scope of our existence something that he had always been, which was sinlessly perfect. Verse nine then says, okay, what do we do with this? Verse nine says, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That simply means having finished the task. That idea of perfection, of, of achieving the goal, which is what this idea you know, in this Greek word comes from, is simply pointing to the fact that Jesus endured suffering obediently before God, sinlessly before God to the very end. Consequently, he is able to be the perfect, sinless high priest before God, the one who is able to represent us completely and intercede for us eternally. 
this qualified him to be our eternal high priest. Now, okay, we've got to wrestle with Melchizedek a little bit. All right? I said this was a complicated passage. Raises lots of questions. Not, let's not lose sight of that one question. Why do I need a high priest? Because I need someone to represent me before God, because I need someone to intercede for me before God, because I need someone who can identify with me. Okay, that's, that's the question that we want to answer. Hold on to that. But hey, let's, let's have fun. Let's do a, the, a little bit of theology. Let's think about Melchizedek for a minute. Now, here's the good news. The author of Hebrews is going to come back to Melchizedek in chapter 7, so I don't have to do as deep of a dive um, here as we will when we get there. But just a little teaser. Melchizedek, you you read about him first in Genesis chapter 14. He just kind of shows up. He's the king of Salem, which is, you know, most commentators believe is Jerusalem. And he was a priest in service of God. And he had no beginning or, or end, which is, I believe, a way of simply saying we don't know his origin story and we don't know how he died. We get this episode of Melchizedek there with Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, And that's it. And then he's gone. Until you get to Psalm 110, which is what's quoted here. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, wow, we've covered a lot of Bible history, a lot of days on the calendar of redemptive history, and all of a sudden Melchizedek's back, you know, on the table. And Psalm 110, which is a psalm that Jesus said points to him, says you... Jesus, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So in the same way that it's as if Melchizedek had no beginning and no end because we don't know his story of origin and how he ended up, so too in reality Jesus is one who is a priest forever without beginning and without end. He is our eternal high priest. Okay, more that we will say when we get to Hebrews chapter 7. However, don't miss the point. We have an eternal high priest interceding for us before the throne of God. Now, he's not making sacrifices anymore. He was the perfect sinless sacrifice. That's what we celebrate at Easter. But he's still interceding for us because we keep sinning. The sacrifice for sin has been made. Our our sin continues, and so we continue to have one who's interceding for us based on not our good works, but on his finished work. Jesus is not standing before God saying, do you see how hard Mark tried? Do you see the sincerity of his heart? He meant well. Jesus is standing before the Father and and, and saying, do you remember what I did for Mark? Of course you do. You sent me because you love Mark to accomplish that work. And here here are the wounds in my, my hand my hands and my feet. I, I died for Mark. His sins are forgiven. The price is paid. And so too for all who look to Jesus in faith. Jesus isn't pleading my case. He's pointing to his own finished work on my behalf. That is such good news. It's why, you know, one of the verses that we often will use as part of our assurance of forgiveness when we do the confession of sin is from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, 
God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why doesn't it say God is faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins? He is merciful. However, he's just. The price for the forgiveness of my sin and of yours was paid. The debt has been paid. All who look to Jesus are declared not guilty. And so it would be an injustice on God's part to declare us guilty and needing to pay a debt that has already been paid. Jesus is our eternal high priest interceding for us. He's praying for you, he's praying for me. And third, he's able and willing to identify with us. Look back at verse two of chapter five. He, that is the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Verse seven, again, let's go look at that, talking about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him it was able to save him from death and was heard because of his reverence. And then goes on and talks about his suffering. Of course, when we looked at Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, we saw that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest who has identified with us in our suffering. That makes his intercession for us all the more sweet. As Jesus prays for us in our weakness, he's not doing so with a sense of frustration or exasperation. Why haven't they figured this out by now? He's praying for us with a lived experience of our suffering, of our temptation, of our weakness. He did so without sin, but he understands, he gets us in that sense. He knows our need, he knows our pain better than we know our need and our pain ourselves. He knows how hard it is for you to endure suffering. He knows the battle you are in with your sin. He knows the things that make you anxious and afraid and he's praying for you even now with a heart of compassion. I love how John Owen put this in his commentary on Hebrews. Please catch this. Jesus can no more cast off poor sinners for their ignorance and wanderings than a father should cast away a child for its crying. He is able with all meekness and gentleness, with patience and moderation to bear with the infirmities, sins and provocations of his people, even as a father bears with the weakness of a poor infant. This is the heart of Christ toward us. It's a heart of gentleness. It's a heart of compassion. It's a heart that would not turn away all who look to him and cry out for help. This is what it means for us to have Jesus as our high priest. Every one of us needs a high priest who will represent us, a high priest who will intercede for us, and a high priest who is willing to identify with us. And Jesus fits the bill. Jesus is that high priest. How should we respond? We'll wrap up with this. Look at verse nine. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So what do we do? What does it look like to obey Jesus? Well, Jesus himself said in John chapter six, believe in the one who sent me. 
Where does our, our obedience of Jesus start? It starts with faith, with believing that God sent Jesus to live that perfect life that we could not live and then die the death that we deserve to die because of our sin, to believe that God sent Jesus to do that and that Jesus accomplished that task. He died, he rose, he ascended, and even now he is interceding for all who are his own. Obedience begins with faith, and it flows out of faith. Jesus in John chapter 15 said, abide in me. What does our obeying Jesus look like? It begins with believing that God sent him. It continues throughout our lifetime with abiding in him, with saying, Jesus, I'm gonna follow your way. I'm gonna trust your path and your purpose for me. And I'm gonna rest in the fact that for all my failures and foibles and foolishness, your finished work is enough. I can rest in you. I can then live for you out of a sense of gratitude for the grace that you've shown to me. This is what abiding in Jesus looks like. And then we have what the author of Hebrews has been telling us, draw near. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you remember one of the questions I asked at the beginning, which was, how was it that Jesus prayed and was prayed to the one who was able to save him from death and was heard, and yet we know he died? It seems as though he wasn't heard, but of course he was because he rose. It wasn't until Jesus had made a complete identification with us in bearing the curse of death for our sin that God answered his prayer to raise him, that he might and that we might have life as we look to him in faith. Jesus is your faithful high priest. He's interceding for you even now with prayers that are marked by patience and grace and love because that is the heart of God toward all who look to Jesus in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you raised your son, Jesus Christ, that we might have the assurance of forgiveness as we look to him in faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you that even now you are interceding for us. We pray that as we pray, you would help us to recognize our need and join you in a sense in the ways in which you are praying for us, that we might know more fully what it is to be loved by you. And we pray all this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.